Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Welcome to episode 173 of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Mark McEvely and I, Matt Jessup, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of the financial markets and financial planning. This week, I am blessed to have Aaron Kramer, uh, CFP, as my guest. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you. I'm happy to be back on again this week. I always look forward to doing the podcast with you. It's always fun. Yeah, it's a great time. So uh, before we begin, as always, uh, Aaron, I'm going to start with the pricing. Perfect. And so uh, we'll take a a few minutes to recap uh, performance of the month and the year of the major indices that we track. Uh, These numbers are as of the market close on Friday, which would be the 22nd. And this data is from uh, stockcharts.com. I got it this morning. So I'll start with the S&P, Aaron. S&P for the month of October so far, up 4.66% down 21.26% year-to-date. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 8.21%, down 14.46% for the year. The NASDAQ Composite up 2.69%, down 30.59% for the year. The iShares Russell 2000 ETF that tracks the small cap index uh, month-to-date up 4.72%, Aaron, down 21.6% for the year. And the Vanguard um, ex-United States all-world ETF up 2.68% for the month and down 24.25% for the year. Moving over to bonds, the three-month Treasury rate is at 4% even as of this morning. The two-year Treasury rate, 4.522%, and the 10-year is lower at 4.238 over the two-year. Aaron, you want to transition? Yeah, yeah. So um, we just had one big headline or current event. So the one thing I wanted to point out for listeners is that the Biden-Harris one-time federal student loan forgiveness is live, meaning people can go online, they can apply for that if it, if they fall into that camp. Um, I wanted to just highlight who would qualify based off of 2021 or 2021 income. This would be good. Yeah. So um, who qualifies as individuals who made less than 125000 in 2021 or 2020 and um, families that made less than 250000 in 2021 or 2020. Okay. Um, so I just kind of perused around the website. It looks extremely easy to do. I think there was about five or six questions and they look you up by your social and then they find your loan provider and it's done. Um, the thing I saw in there is you need to apply before the end of the year. So by our, by the end of next year. So December 31st of 2023. Got it. Is what it said. Got it. Okay. So yeah, that was just the, just the one thing I had. Um, again, we're still dealing with the, these sort of volatile markets right now, obviously. Um, any other thoughts you have there? You know, I just think that with this earnings season, we've been talking about it. It's starting to bring and shed light that, you know, you would assume with the way these stocks have performed year to date that earnings will completely have crumbled or eroded, and they haven't. Yeah, they really haven't. And I think that's what's provided stability to this market. And now I think you're starting to see the focus at the end of last week be on the Fed. Mm-hmm. And there was a very influential reporter for the Wall Street Journal speculating that the Fed will um, start um, slowing its pace of hikes. Okay, That's what got the market rallying uh, in a better mood on Friday. Yeah. But ultimately, 
you know, with what the Fed's doing, it's going to slow down the economy. Mm -hmm. It's going to bring inflation in. The raw data is showing that. Yep. Corporate profitability is not falling off a cliff. And, you know, in, in my opinion, this is not a time to, to jump ship. My two cents, yeah. every situation needs to be analyzed mm -hmm. differently. But this is a situation where I kind think things steady. start to look better uh, as time goes on. I agree. And that kind of leads right into my next um articles, tweets, and research. Dig in here. And I'm excited perfect. to see what you got this week. Yeah. So the first uh, article I found, and it was on, uh, it's titled Recession Warnings Are Hard to Find in BOFA Earnings. BOFA is Bank of America. Yes. And um, this article is on financialadvisormagazine.com. Yep. And it is by Jenny Serene and Catherine Doherty. And this was as of October 17th. I so, didn't know you had this. How timely is I that? I know. AC? It's perfect. It's perfect. So, um, you look at that, Jenna. I'll just kind of highlight a couple points that I really liked in this article, um, and I'll just kind of summarize a little bit. So um, they go on to say the company was the latest on Wall Street to offer a largely rosy assessment of U.S. consumer um, spending on uh, Bank of America credit cards jumped 13 percent in the third quarter from a year earlier as consumers spent more on traveling and entertainment. So uh, I think that's that's an important thing to note is that in my opinion the consumer is still extremely strong right now and travel and entertainment what are those luxury items right yeah that's so discretionary that's, spending exactly. and they wouldn't be doing it if they weren't comfortable um, it also goes on to say less affluent consumers are still sitting on savings five times what they were before the pandemic excuse me five times that's a that's a huge number to me um Finally, the number of cars uh, the bank repossesses in any given month has been cut in half as well. So I think the title of the article is extremely accurate. Um, kind of with those data points, it's, um, it's pretty challenging for me to see with how strong the consumer is and how strong with corporate profits are um, the, the likelihood of a recession. I do think it's likely because of what the Fed is doing, it's going to mm -hmm. obviously slow things down, but it's kind of this double-edged sword of where the consumer and corporations are still extremely strong and profitable right now, but with what the Fed's doing, it's likely going to slow things down, I think, next year. Aaron, well put. I mean, this is a great piece. I love your feedback here. I'll just add to it in this fashion. When you look at stock prices year to date, mm -hmm. the market has priced in uncertainty. I think the amount of uncertainty that it is priced in has gone too far. Mm -hmm. You're not seeing the erosion of right. corporate profits. You're seeing hard data that the American consumer is not completely eroding. Exactly. I just think that, you know, those things need to be taken into account. And this is these are good data points. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think it's um, what, what's also interesting in the in this article is that it mirrored similar reports by JP Morgan and by Wells Fargo. So it's not just Bank of that's America correct, sir. that's having this data. Um, it's coming from all three of those. Yeah, it's those not just one bank banks. got lucky right. and its customer base is doing good. Right, exactly. Okay. Any other thoughts on that? No, I mean, by the way, those are the three, I think three of the four largest banks by size in yes. North America, yes. by the way, too. I, I think you're right. That's perfect. Um, you ready if I move on to my next article? I would article? love it, Aaron. I would love it. All right. I got another Financial Advisor Magazine article. They had some good stuff um, coming out last week. So um, this article, it's more of some information and some thoughts by this by this guy named Andy Friedman. Okay. And he says the Secure Act 2.0 should pass after the midterms. Um, and this was as of October 
14th um, from last week. Yeah, so, they're back in session after the midterms, aren't they? Yes. Congresses? Yes. Um, so again, he. I just wanted to highlight a few of the points that he made because um, I thought they were really good. So some of the things that the uh, Secure Act 2.0 is pointing at is obviously required minimum distributions, um, contribution limits on qualified plans, okay. so 401ks, 403bs, and also um, with, with simple IRAs as well. So um, this, uh, th this article really focused on that it thinks even with a gridlock likely happening post midterms that this is a bipartisan thing that can actually get done. So it's something that um, Congress might actually be able to agree on, right? So I thought that was interesting. That's interesting. And it, it, it's, it's possible, in my opinion. I think it's going to be hard for things to get done. Um, but the legislation uh, will increase the required minimum distribution age from 72 to 75. Um, now, so I remember you in the prior previous podcast, you mentioned that that was a rumor. Yeah, yeah. So it, that was probably last year that we, yeah, we talked about this. Yeah, I about that. Um, so it still, still sounds like it's in the works, and it sounds like it might be getting closer. So um, on the RMD front, it says the original Secure Act increased the age at which workers have to start making withdrawals from their retirement accounts to 72 years old. Um, the Secure Act 2.0 would increase it once again to 73 by 2022, 74 by 2029, and 75 by 2032. So it would be over 10 years on how it would get towards this. But okay. in my opinion, I think it really makes sense for for retirees because people are living so much they longer really nowadays. They really I think, are. Um, if people people are living longer, they're working longer. So in my opinion, I think it would be nice for them to be able to have that money be tax deferred and have that growth for a little bit longer as well. So mm -hmm. uh, we'll see what comes out with this. If it gets passed, um, I think it's possible that it yeah, does, but yeah. I don't know. We, we shall see. Uh, a couple other things I wanted to highlight is that um, the bill is, is really rich in catch up contributions. So it would allow people that are aged 62 to 64, kind of an odd age range there to capture an additional $10,000 in their 401k um, or an additional five thousand to simple IRAs. Uh, catch up contributions uh, right now, uh, respectively, are sixty five hundred and three thousand. So, and only um, from sixty two to sixty four. Yeah. yeah. So right before they would file, quote unquote, for Social Security, exactly, or Medicare, they can, they can stock some a little yeah. extra away. Okay. So, um, I think that's pretty interesting. Um, it's also going to index IRA catch up contributions of a thousand dollars for inflation. Okay. So they'll actually start moving those up. As they should. As they should. Exactly. As they should. That's one okay. thing they've been behind on for a long time. It is. It is. So um, I think that's I think that's all positive things. Um, obviously, there's usually some give and take with, with things like this as the government pushes back the tax revenue. Yeah, so where are they going to get it from? It, it doesn't say. So I, I think that's probably where the Congress will probably come to an agreement on what's going to be taken from yeah. rather than given. Yeah, I remember when they moved it from 70.5 to 72. They adjusted the um, inherited yeah ten IRA. year rule. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we still need more clarity on the the ten year rule too, because there's there's still some some questioning on whether you have to take RMDs or if you can actually wait until um, the the end of year ten. So, um, Congress and legislation still has to come out to really clear that up for advisors, which I am patiently waiting to see what happens. Yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Okay. Um, any other thoughts on, on that article? I thought it was a good one. Nope. Um, I think it's important that investors stay up to date on kind of what legislation changes because it can have a pretty drastic impact on your, your tax situation and 
kind of your overall financial plan as well. Absolutely. Okay. Um, last article I got for you. This is a um, this is a pretty cool article. It's um, by the blog Retire Before Dad, and it's about how perception of time and money changes as we age. So I thought this was a really cool article, and uh, we'll obviously have the link to it in the show notes. So I think uh, if people have time to read the full article, I think it's it's uh, it's it's really good one as well. So um, basically, to summarize, it's talking about how our thoughts around time and money change as we get older. So really when we're young or when clients are young, uh, they're willing to sacrifice time uh, to make more money, right? And Mm -hmm. be able to save that. So really the most interesting point I thought about this article is that people get closer to retirement. They start valuing that time more than the actual money. So the example they say is why cut the grass when I could hire someone to do that? Um, when I could be playing cards or spending time with family and friends. So I think that's a really interesting point as a lot of people are going to be having a transfer of of wealth, specifically baby boomers. Sure. Um, I think we're kind of seeing that. I see that in in real world. It's, it's as clients get closer to retirement, I found it's more of a, not so much a financial decision for them, but more of their time. I get it. And, um, I just thought it was a really good article. I won't read the whole thing today because it's it's pretty long, but um, I would encourage listeners to to read that article and um, gives a, some really interesting graphics on the the chart of time and money and kind of that inflection point is usually around retirement. So. Uh, just thought that was a good one. Any thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I think this is the big reason why you saw so many people retire when COVID hit. You exactly. know, they looked at what I call the cost-benefit analysis of continuing to work and, 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 and what it meant to them and what that time with family meant. And I think people became so retrospective at that time, say, listen, all right, if I keep working another three, five, six years, whatever the, kind of the number is, and I get X amount of more mm-hmm. per year or per month in income, that's not worth it to it's, me. Yeah, it's marginal at that point. And I think you started to see people really starting to judge what's the value of money versus their time. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's why you saw kind of the the great retirement that yeah, happened the during that time. great resignation is what they call it, right? Yeah, I mean, so. I think that's why you kind of saw it. So, you know, I'm the oldest one here in the practice. And, <laughs> you know, as you know, my oldest is now 10, you know, obviously my perceptions mm-hmm. on things are slowly changing. And exactly. You know, um, it's just interesting. And I, and I would agree. I think that as time goes on, uh, I think there's high correlation between valuing time over money as you age. I, I agree. Yeah. yeah. So I'm kind of the opposite. I'm fresher to the industry. So yeah. um, it, it's interesting to see the evolution of, of people in their careers and kind of what, what's really important to them. Yeah. Especially as you get closer to retirement, I think is that really big inflection point for people where they really start thinking about it. So great pretty article. cool article. Yeah, great article. I, I would I definitely encourage listeners to to look that up and, and read the whole thing. Cause I think the, um, the guy who writes it is a, he's just a normal person, Love um, it. just like an IT director or something. And I, I think it's pretty cool. Awesome. Awesome. You have anything else for me? when we go next? No, I'm, I'm ready for him. All right, here we go. Number one article in Bloomberg titled, and here's the quote AC after 13 trillion stock crash signs of a turn are now mounting. Hmm. Okay. Well, you know, I see that. I have to click it. Yeah, absolutely. Because I want to see what's <laughs> a back- spicy. That's a spicy headline. Spicy headline. I know they're going to back it up with data. So that's I'm right. Like, I'm thinking to myself, what's the data, yes. right? So this is what the article said, and I'm going to quote here. Um, 
Judging by the pre-announcements of Wall Street luminaries, every trader under the sun should be prepping for fresh turmoil in the world's biggest stock market, yet hedging for doom and gloom is falling out of fashion fast. Thanks to a historic equity route that's already erased $13 trillion in market value this year and flushed out both retail and institutional investors. <laughs> Even though my allergies are hitting me hard, how's my tone? Uh, it's it's uh it's it's pretty clear. Am I doing it? Am I doing a good job so far? You're doing a good job. All right, I'll continue. <laughs> In the options uh, marketplace, the relative cost of contracts that pay off if the S and P sinks another ten percent from current levels, Aaron, okay. have collapsed to the lowest level since 2017. Hmm. Appetite for bullish wagers is on the rise. And the popular CBOE volatility index, or the VIX, as mm -hmm. we uh, reference it on the podcast at times, is sitting far below multi-year highs, even as equity benchmarks plump bear market lows. Next, when there is so much skepticism out there, maybe things aren't actually as bad as they seem, said Gary Bradshaw, portfolio manager of Hodges Capital Management in Dallas, Texas. Another quote, we're awfully close to having all the headwinds priced in. The narrative is getting repetitive and traders are slowly getting fed up. So here's the chart that they're showing. This chart will be put up by Jenna uh, and our uh, YouTube viewers right now. It'll be in our show notes for our traditional podcast listeners. And it shows what is the cost to buy a, uh, a put or a derivative contract to protect against a 10% drop in the S&P. And this chart goes back to 2017, Aaron. And what do you notice by this? It's extremely cheap. In comparison to? Pretty much every other time there's Since been, 2017. been volatility and risk, right? So if the big money was so concerned that things were gonna go farther down from here, do you think you'd see data like this? I do not. I don't either. <laughs> I, I, I really tend to agree with what uh, the, that quote by, um, Gary Bradshaw is saying, it's kind of that contrarian thought again. I, I know we talk about that contrarian indicators and things like that a lot, but um, I think that's I think it's pretty true. And I think a lot of the volatility and in, in the the skepticism is priced in at this point. Yeah, and a couple other points I want to throw out there. What I'm seeing so far in Q4 is the market actually move higher on negative news. Mm -hmm. It's and almost so, like it's expecting it's it. Expect, it's priced <laughs> in. All right. We knew that was going to happen. All right. Let's put some money to work. Right. It wasn't, exactly. it wasn't horrible. It's kind of reaffirming the, the negativity or the thoughts out there. And then it's, it's pushing higher, which when, makes yeah. sense. As we're, I would think we were nearing a bottom it, when, yeah. when the market's behaving like that. And this other trend that I'm starting to see is when the market was going down consistently earlier in the year, the market would open up high and sell off through the day. It's almost doing the opposite. opposite. Exactly. Seeing the opposite now. I like that. I think that's. I think it's a good sign that I think really a lot of the, like you said, the the headwinds are priced in. So I think um, I think the market's predicting that there's likely going to be a recession next year and things are going to slow down, but at some point the market's going to recover. Right? That's right. That's right. So my allergies are getting to me. So I might have. Yes. Some... No worries. All right. Just bear with me here for a minute. Um. Very good. <laughs> All right, my next piece is on consumer confidence and the stock market. You're gonna love who this tweet is by. <laughs> it's by a trader by the name of The Short Bear. I read ahead, I love it, that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> my allergies are barking. All right, this tweet was from 1018, 
This trader shared a chart from JP Morgan Asset Management on September 30th. This is a really, really good chart. It is a fantastic chart. Jenna's going to put it up on our for YouTube viewers. This is definitely a chart. It is from JP Morgan's Guide to the Markets. It was uh, issued on September 30th. It is a chart of consumer confidence overlaying with the stock market. Goes back to the early 70s. Shows you that when uh, consumer confidence is really high, that the forward-looking returns 12 months out tend to be pretty low for the market. Mm -hmm. And then what happens on the opposite side? They're really low. Those forward returns look really good. So why don't you highlight, do some talking for me. Why don't you highlight some of those really deep points where consumer confidence was low? Yeah, Name absolutely. some of the dates and show some of those forward-looking returns. Yeah, so I'm going to highlight ones that are kind of similar to where we're at right now, because I think that's the best evidence to look back to, to similar situations. Yep. Is uh, 1975, consumer confidence was at the 60 level uh, of this indicator. Um, and the forward-looking returns were 22%. Um, May of 1980, uh, at the 50 level and, uh, forward returns were 20%, 1990, uh, around 65 and the forward return was 29%, uh, 2008, uh, which is one that was, uh, around 55 when consumer confidence and the forward return was 22%. So, um, most recent when consumer confidence was pretty low is going to be 2020 and the, uh, confidence index was or sentiment index was at about 72 and the forward return was about 43 percent so uh we're sitting right i would say as of this chart coming out at about 58 uh on the consumer sentiment index so i guess we shall see what one year out looks like These, right this is this is a pretty strong data set for me right and so this is what uh the tweet actually said Consumer confidence might not give us a direct entry, but it sure tilts the odds in your favor for the medium and long term. Mm -hmm. <coughs> I would agree with that, by the way. Yes, absolutely. All right. <coughs> this is tough for me to get through. Right you're now. okay. My you're, allergies you're are barking. All right. Last thing is a Christmas spending forecast. This is from Wells Fargo on October 19th. Read this quote for me, AC. Yes, absolutely. So again, Wells Fargo on 1019. You might not be surprised to hear that our forecast puts holiday sales on track for a 6% annual increase, well north of the long run average of 4.6%. But wait a minute, Aaron. But I, I thought the consumer was falling <laughs> apart. I thought the consumer wasn't spending any money. I thought that this holiday spending period was going to be horrible. I would argue quite the opposite with this evidence. And uh, I think that Bank of America credit card report and uh, savings report would correlate pretty pretty strong with this uh, with Wells Fargo data. So um, I really think Americans are going to come out and do what they do, and that's spend around the holidays, right? So whether it's on credit cards, whether it's using up their savings, we're a consumption-based economy, and Americans are going to spend. increase. It's, it's very interesting. I think... It, I think that correlates likely due to wages increasing as well. So people are spending more money rather mm -hmm. than saving it. Um, so I think the, in my opinion, I, I probably sound like a broken record, but the, the consumer is still extremely strong in, in my opinion. And I think um, fourth quarter earnings that probably come out early next year are going to look extremely strong. And if the market is still volatile at that point, um, I think that's going to be another short-term pop in the market as um, a lot of companies are going to report their earnings early next year, especially the companies. Uh, one that comes to mind is Amazon. Their fourth quarter earnings are always pretty, 
pretty juicy compared to the prior three quarters. So a lot of companies that are dependent on sales around the holidays, I think are going to look really, really strong early next year. Again. I absolutely agree. And we got a bulk of earnings season this week and next week. Mm-hmm. A lot of those names are going to report. Again, I'm on the bullish side right now. I am. I am as well. So um, I think that's some some really solid evidence that it's kind of kind of opposite of what you might hear on the news news cycles. Right. So um, absolutely. That's, that's a good one. I like that. I like that tweet. Um, as we kind of wrap up and transition to the financial planning topic of the week with Taylor, do you have anything you'd like to add? I'm good. I think, um, again, I'll just kind of reiterate, I think now is a time just to kind of hold steady in the market and not make emotional decisions. Um, in my opinion, I think, I think we're seeing a lot, of the vol- or a lot of the future issues that might be in the economy priced in at this point. It's kind of the last thought I have. I think it makes sense. And again, I think you're going to start to see stock prices start to really reflect what I think is happening with with corporate earnings. Yeah, right now. especially as we kind of we're getting to wrap up earnings season right now. So I think short term, that's why we're seeing some some positives this month as well. More stability. Exactly. More that's, stability. That's what that's what the market's looking for, in my opinion, is stability, predictability, um, especially with the midterms coming up here in just a few weeks. So um, again, I think uh, I think we're going to see most likely gridlock for the next couple of years. And I think the market's going to love that, in my I would opinion. Ag- I would so, agree. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts you have? That's, that's pretty much all that's on my mind. Nope. Nope. We'll have Taylor come on now. Perfect. Thank you, Aaron. Absolutely. Happy to be on the podcast again. Love having you on. So next up is uh, Taylor Ledbetter. Uh, she's going to handle our financial planning topic of the week, as usual, fan favorite. Uh, Taylor, welcome. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Hanging in there with these allergies. Yeah. <laughs> it always hits me twice a year. I didn't get it in the spring. I escaped it. They got me in the fall. Mm. <laughs> on the tail end. Um, what do you got for the listeners this week? Yeah. So today I'm going to be talking about um, employee stock options. So some people may be a little unfamiliar with this topic because they're typically only offered by an employer, mm-hmm. but not every employer is required to offer them. So there's a lot of moving parts. They can be a little bit confusing. So I just wanted to break down the process today of how they work. This would be great. And this could always be one of those sections that they might not work at an employer today that has stock options, Mm -hmm. but they might in the future and they can always reference this. Exactly. All right. Let's see what you got. Yeah. So I mean, first, typically companies will grant stock options to attract new employees or retain current ones they have. Um, They also work as kind of a a motivator to to be a little more productive, too. So I think that it is a good benefit to offer employees. Um, So just to to overview how the process generally works, the first step is called the grant date. Okay. So this is typically when a stock option is awarded to the employee at a set price that the employer determines. So the employee hasn't purchased the stock yet on the grant date. They've just been awarded the stock options. Okay. And then once an employee becomes fully vested and the best way I can kind of describe that without getting too technical is complete ownership or the right to buy those stock options. So every employer's vesting schedule works a little differently, but once you become fully vested, that's when the employee can actually purchase the stock option at that 
set price that the employer established at the grant date. Correct. Um, typically, this price is lower than the, what the stock is currently trading at. So you get it for a discount, basically. Yep. Now, once you go to sell your stock option, there are holding period requirements. So typically, you have to hold the stock for two years from the grant date and then one year from the exercise date or when you purchased those options. Um, and if you meet those requirements, you'll receive long-term capital gains tax treatment when you sell the stock. Okay. Um, if you don't meet those holding period requirements, you'll just, oh, it's gonna be treated as ordinary, ordinary income, income instead of a capital gain. Yeah. So I'm going to take you guys through an example. I think that will be a better visual maybe of how those work. Sure. So hypothetically, say you are an employee and you're awarded one share um, of company stock on January 1st of this year. Mm -hmm. And the employer sets that price at $10 a share. Okay. And then say you exercise or you purchase purchase those shares on February 2nd of next year and say that that company stock is currently trading at $30. Well, you can still buy that for $10, not 30. That's right. Um, then say once you go to sell those shares, um, you wait a year or more. Um, the stock still trades at 30. Hypothetically, you'll just owe $20. Well, you'll owe capital gains on that. on the gain exactly correct so that's how what we call an incentive stock option works Mm -hmm. i think all the stock options kind of work the same the only difference is really how they're taxed correct Mm -hmm. um keep going i got one point at the end but it it won't matter i think for your last uh, piece yeah so like i said incentive stock options are kind of the most common and then we also have non-qualified stock options which work pretty much the same as the incentive stock options i just talked about Um, the only difference is that with a non-qualified stock option when you actually go to purchase the shares um, you could have ordinary income tax or income yeah income tax due on the difference between the exercise price and the fair market value got it and that's the big difference between the two mm-hmm. yeah so the, the one thing i was going to throw out there for our listeners and viewers is you know when a company is say purchased that could make these uh, options trigger earlier than expected mm-hmm. and so it would not surprise me with stock prices where they're at and where corporate profitability that Aaron and I were talking about earlier wouldn't surprise me over the next couple of years to see M&A, also known as mergers and acquisition activity, really jump. And if you have, you know, these grants, and let's say that, you know, a lot of your grants don't vest for a couple mm-hmm. more years, that company gets taken out and acquired, those things vest immediately upon that transaction. And so I think that you could see a lot of money movement the next couple of years. If I'm right, and you see a spike in merger and acquisitions because of these depressed equity prices, 
a lot of people holding these options that are going to get vested a lot quicker than they thought. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. And I mean, the example I used, I said you're awarded one share. A lot of times you're awarded more than one share. So yeah. the, the gain is significantly higher than the, the $20 example that I used. Yeah, and I know a lot of people might be, you know, um, pessimistic because maybe they got stock options awarded, you know, last year, Taylor, that were awarded at, you know, higher prices when the stock was higher. Mm -hmm. You're now experiencing the opposite side of that right now mm -hmm. to where these stock prices are pretty depressed. You're getting these, uh, these awards this year. And, you know, if, if our blueprint is correct and you see a recovery in stock prices in general, the next couple of years, you're going to see some pretty handsome returns potentially in some of these names. Mm -hmm. Make yeah. sense? Yeah, I agree because you can, I mean, there's, there's a time limit on when you can exercise and, and sell those options, but it's pretty generous. So if you have to, you know, wait a year or you want to wait a year before you purchase or sell them, you can do that. Yeah. And I'll just throw out an example. This is not how they all work, but an example I normally see is for the exercise period. It's usually in your example, um, year two to five. Mm -hmm. So what I see normally is they grant it. You can't touch it for two years. Then from years roughly two to five is when you can, it's your exercise window. Mm -hmm. I see that very normally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Anything else you'd like to add on the topic of stock options? Um, nope, that was it. You always do an excellent job, Taylor. Thank you so much. Thanks. Um, outside of stock options, anything else you want to talk about the markets? Anything you want to throw out there? Um, not, not nothing that comes to comes to mind All hopefully right. we see a bounce back soon <laughs> yeah i mean corporate profitability is there so a lot of cash on the sidelines mm -hmm. a lot of data pointing to the upside we'll see if it happens so we'll sign off thank you for listening to episode number 173 of the independent advisors podcast uh, myself aaron and taylor thank you for listening and we hope all of you have a good rest of your week Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors Podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. Also, check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. There you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words questions and topics in the subject line to inquiries at jessupwealthmanagement.com. We'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.